Are we supposed to feel that breakdown? Do we need to break down to break through? Well, that's the question on the table tonight, and I can't think of a better person to share this obrengus, this dialogue, this session with you. It's Yochevet Seidoff. Yochevet's been a guest on the program before. She's an acclaimed educator, Hasidic educator, uh, social entrepreneur, uh, mystical facilitator, and she's she always is able to kind of shine a um, a very practical light on what sometimes seems abstruse. So if you're sitting there right now going, "What? What's this show about?" Well, you'll have it. Will help break down what it is to do a show about breaking down and breaking through in life. Let me give a little bit more of an expanded introduction. You'll have it, as I said, as an entrepreneur, psycho-mystical, depth work facilitator. She's also an acclaimed writer, speaker, and activist, in addition to being an educator. After a decade as a filmmaker and photographer, in 2010, Yochevet founded a grassroots progressive Hasidic school in Brooklyn called the Lamplighters Yeshiva. It was an example really all over the world, received international acclaim. I say with pride and some bittersweetness that I was on the board of Lamplighters for some years and a companion in that journey with Yochevet. Yochevet has this extraordinary ability to build community with healing at its center, and most recently founded Omek, which you can find at on Instagram at Omek, O-H-M-E-K, dot living. Omek is an intentional collective focused on med- meditation, embodied mysticism, and micro-retreats. Yochevet is a mother of five, and she's a committed meditator, mystic herself, an avid, I love this part of her bio, an avid dreamer, and a willful doer. (laughs) Yochevet, welcome back to Equal Footing. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. This is a little bit of a tough one. I love when we've done it in studio, Yochevet. It's easier to, like, look in your eyes and, you know, and uh, and really... um, you know, gel around the topic. We're both remote. You're in New York. I'm in Canada, uh, but we'll do our best. You know, Hevet, I wanted to start by us both being vulnerable. So this kind of concept of do we need to kind of break through spiritually is a way to break through spiritually kind of by breaking down in a certain way in our life. I want to get that concept out of the clouds and really um, get get to the, the practical reality that listeners will, will maybe resonate with. So uh, if, if when I promise to, to accompany you with this, but can you address as a conscious uh, person on the spiritual path and the Jewish spiritual path in particular, those moments of greatest kind of breakdown where you kind of feel like you may have, you're in danger of losing your way? Yeah, and I, I appreciate starting with that center point of our personal lives. Um, you know, our, our journeys, how we walk through this world is really a prism to understand everything. Humanity, God, <laughs> all planes of being, and so I, I really do find value with looking at our lives. And I would definitely say that there was a number of challenges that I faced for moments of deep insecurity or loneliness in my spiritual journey. Um, 
And probably the peak moment that's connected to, I would say, my sense of self, my identity, my expression in this world, my spiritual practice, and this feeling of everything is falling apart. My Everything that I know to be true is just falling away. And I can actually pinpoint it. Um, you know, part of my bio is the school that I founded. It was much more than a school. It was my life's passion. It was my identity. It was my mission. And for 10 years, it completely consumed all of my being. I started it for my son. And it was an act of real love. And for many reasons, um, the school had a really incredible heyday and was so much success. And for many reasons, we came to a point where it became clear that we were likely going to close. And I remember this one moment. Um, we used to do quite a bit of crowdfunding. And we had launched a crowdfunding platform to try to save our school. It was our last attempt to save our school. And I remember an article that went out that night. And I was I was quite a bit of a public figure in my community around my advocacy in my school. An article went out that night on a very, very well um, seen and clicked on local website. You know, founder and CEO of Lamplighters breaks down due to financial turmoil. Like something that was... And I remember walking home from that call center of that crowd campaign and just falling apart. It wasn't the public embarrassment or the shame. It was the sense of, who am I now? Like, everything that I feel like I know to be true about myself seems to be falling apart completely. My life's work, my mission, my advocacy, my my sense of confidence. And in such a public way. And I remember saying to my therapist, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. So when you speak to moments of breakdown, it was quite, like I said, this is one particular moment that stands out. I can feel in my body moments that feel like everything, everything is falling apart. And it just feels so vulnerable and, in my experience, so lonely in those moments. I sometimes feel like my life is a roller coaster and that uh, every time I feel like I am um, getting this beautiful view and coming to the top of a, of a mini summit, I feel this like that feeling just as you go over the edge, your stomach drops and like I'm descending again. And it's not the, it's not like a mental health issue. It's not something where, uh, yeah, I'm prone to depression. It's, it's something that feels like it's an external test. Like every time I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. I get, um, you know, sideswiped. I've had, 
experience like you have, Yocheved, of uh, having a, an enterprise that I built uh, in what felt like like overnight, never quite overnight in reality, but all of a sudden just kind of crumbled around me. Um, had that early in my in my career over 20 years ago. And then many years later, had a similar experience happen again after I felt like I had learned the practical lessons. Um, marriage, you know, marriage that, that, that didn't work, um, uh, health issues, um, and then ultimately something I've talked about in the show that was felt like really hitting the bottom in my life, I hope, not good, it was hitting the bottom, um, where I, I ended up, um, being incarcerated for um, almost 11 months um, while I was overseas and had horrible experiences there, uh, physical and sexual abuse. And when I hit that very rock bottom, I felt like the lessons of the past experiences, which I was always able to rationalize to myself, that they were growth opportunities and that you know, afterwards I would, you know, I would be, you know, kind of better the next time and stronger for having fallen down, which is kind of part of the ethos of our, you know, Western capitalist society when it comes to business. And I would say even in the spiritual realm, it's an ethos as well that you become stronger through the challenges. But when I hit rock bottom, Yocheved, um, and that was really uh, right before you and I met, very shortly before you and I met, just months before, um, before I was released from, from being incarcerated abroad. Um, I felt like it was all BS. I felt uh, at one point like um, that, you know, my grandfather survived the Holocaust. His ethos was, was the right one that the world is full of, of, of chaos and evil and there's sometimes there's no point in believing in God and it's um, and anything and it's any any instinct otherwise is just rationalization. And I think that a lot of people struggle with that. I, I, I hope I'm not putting you too much on the spot by asking you if you did you ever have that level of crisis of 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 faith where you question just everything about your belief system? Yeah. Um, I resonate with what you're saying, and, and, I'll, and I'll share how my crisis of faith has shown up. Um, I, too, walk with this deep knowing that if you're on the top, don't get too used to it, you know, because <laughs> you're, yeah. you know, and if you're on the bottom, don't get too used to that either because <laughs> and it's true in business and it's true in life and it's true in relationships. And I feel like I've had that, that knowing for quite some time. And look, it's what got me through 10 years of intense entrepreneurship, you know, that knowing that there is a certain cyclical nature to life, and and I would say this is actually most recently, um, and I'm very committed in my healing journey and in, uh, in my own trauma healing and in also facilitating trauma healing and and really touching recently through this work that there is this part of me that actually does feel quite abandoned by God, and it's not necessarily at the forefront of my consciousness 
but there's this tinge somewhere in me when the going really gets tough that I got to figure out a way to fix this. Like, I got to figure out a way to fix this. And even though... Yeah, and even though I am somebody who has, thank God, a very strong compass that's attuned to to higher higher being, still there's this tinge of at the end of the day I gotta figure this out. And so I, that's my it's like a, I wouldn't say it's a crisis of faith like a particular moment, but there's this underlying buzz of like really, do you really trust? When yeah, I think when really trust. Yeah, and I, at some point in the show, I may get up the courage you'll have it about the that the the really bottommost moment. But I just maybe without going into that detail yet, I may not be ready on this show. I, I would I would completely agree with you that when it's the, when it's at its worst is when you it's like you feel like all of the prayer, all of the organization of your life around your your spiritual compass all that can actually like feel like it's dissipated it's like wait a minute i can only rely on myself and that's that feels incredibly lonely um and and i would also add at least for me somewhat devoid of meaning then it becomes kind of this animalistic state um and I don't feel even that separated from the most basis, you know, animals are, you know, it, it, where there's there's a, a feeling of just kind of acting out some um, some painful play that's just about um, suffering and death. And it's incredibly intense stuff. And yet, and I want to talk about this after our first break, in part of Hasidic wisdom has been, and you're much more of an expert than I am, Yochavid, has been instead of avoiding those thoughts and avoiding this issue that we're talking about tonight, um, really thinking about it and thinking about that feeling of pain and disappointment and loss and how um, it does actually relate intrinsically to our growth. So let me get back to that after the break. I'm here with Yochavid Seidoff. She's an acclaimed teacher, facilitator, social entrepreneur, has tremendous wisdom, wisdom, Hasidic and otherwise. Really honored to be her friend, honored to have you on the program tonight. Participate, please. We're both remote out of studio, so if you call in, please be patient because our wonderful radio engineer is alone in the booth and you may, and you may, you may need to ring a couple of times to, to get him to see the, the call. The number to call in live, we are live, is 718 303 9090. That's 718 303 9090. You can state your name or you can be anonymous and share with us your feelings of breaking down in life and perhaps how that's related to breaking through as well spiritually. If you want to text or WhatsApp in a question or comment to Yochevit Sidoff or myself, you can do so. Please don't call this number. This is just for SMS and WhatsApp. The number is 917-428-4062. I know folks that have used that number in the past, we already got one interesting comment that I'll give to you after the break. Yochevit, that number again, 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Ch-ch-ch-change 
Not a coincidence with one of our best sponsors over time and a great sponsor on this network in general, and that's Manhattan Medical. Both Manhattan Medical and our program strive to address things that are hard to address, things that often need to get attention or remedies, but people feel shame or embarrassment about discussing. On the case of Manhattan Medical, that's erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction does not affect just one community, does not affect just one age group. In fact, it affects over two-thirds of men in their lifetimes. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. There are solutions. Many people think that the only solutions out there are expensive pills, those expensive blue pills in particular. But there are enduring, non-invasive, no-side-effects options out there, and Manhattan Medical has them. Manhattan Medical, in particular, 4ED, uses the new effective therapy called Gainswave. Gainswave has been around in Europe for a number of years, more recently in Canada, and then even more recently in the United States. It's totally non-invasive. It does not involve surgery. It is painless, and there are no side effects. So folks that have comorbidities and can't take other remedies for ED can use the Gainswave therapy for Manhattan Medical. Get your phone out or your pen and paper. I'm going to give you the number for Manhattan Medical's ED treatment line in a moment. But let me tell you that if you call and you say you heard about it on equal footing, you will get a free consult, not just if you're in Manhattan or in the New York area, but anywhere in the United States, you can get a teleconsult with Manhattan Medical for their erectile dysfunction cure. Okay? Here's the number. 888-EDQR9. In numbers, 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. You can get wonderful results. The vast majority of patients have enduring cure for ED. One more time, Manhattan Medical's number for anyone in the United States. You get a free consult if you mentioned you heard it on equal footing. 888-332-8739. I've been caught. We're back on equal footing. We're talking about breakdowns, being in life and breaking down. I don't mean just having a nervous breakdown, although that can certainly be a part of it, but just feeling like everything's falling apart in business, in relationships, in health. What do you do then? Is this, are we supposed to feel this? You know, Heather, I said before the break, and I want to introduce in this segment two different ways of looking at this. One is spiritual, and I would say one is psychological, and I'm going to ask our executive producer, Leah Masniku, also to come in because she'll give us a different perspective, I think, you'll have it to perhaps either of ours or at least to mine uh, as well. I want to talk about this because she's a clinical psychologist and kind of brings a different view, but I want to talk to you about the, about the kind of Jewish wisdom view for, for a moment. Uh, I think that there is a sense, you'll have it, at least among, let's say, um, non-Hasidic Jews or folks not perhaps even more specifically in the Chabad movement who feel like there is um, a, a disconnect between feeling despondent, uh, uh, in pain, 
and believing in God. And for arguably millennia, there was a strong theological uh, you know, basis uh, for this. Uh, even in the Talmud, you know, Rabbi Joshua says the, the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, does not come to rest on a person in a state of indolence, sadness, unseriousness, or worthlessness. There, and there are a number of references to this that make it seem like if you're in pain, you are separated from God. If you are feeling like you're a failure, you are not in touch with your divine essence. And it seems that Hasidism, now centuries ago, kind of changed that narrative. Um, first of all, am I right? And how is that operational today and, and, and for you in specific? Yeah, what a big question. Um, you know, what comes up in me immediately is something that I... I learned recently, actually, in the Talmud, that after the temple was destroyed, God desires to weep, to weep. He weeps, but he doesn't want to weep alone. He actually calls the angel of presence to come and weep with him. And I I think there's something here in the collective expression of grief and despair, the sense of experiencing pain as not an isolated event that disconnects us from our higher selves, from higher purpose, from one another, but as the expression of pain that actually brings us closer to something deeper and more elemental. And you see in Hasidic literature that there's a difference between um, despair, the kind of despair that just brings a person to apathy or a sense that I don't matter, and the kind of agitation, the kind of suffering, the kind of bitterness that calls on us to say, like, there must be something more. There must be something more. And that kind of agitation, that kind of, there must be something more, there must be something deeper, there must be a reason, I'm part of something bigger. And when that especially is experienced, and we allow ourselves to experience that in a collective, then that actually is such a portal to deep union with the divine, and deep union with our higher selves, and deep union with such a reservoir of courage that each one of us holds. So I would, I would say, and again, this is such an exhaustive um, question, it's an important question that you're posing, but that there's something here in what is the root of the expression of the pain? Because pain in and of itself, especially witness, you know, God's tears in the, in the presence of the angel of presence, brings so much healing, is ultimately healing. You know, one, one listener, Yocheved, uh, wrote in, uh, is it no pain, no gain, or no pain, no pain? And, uh, you know, sometimes, and I don't, I don't mean to offend you or anybody listening, I feel like it's just a rationalization. The no pain, no gain at least can be a rationalization sometimes, where it's like the only coping coping mechanism when everything's falling apart. 
is I, I have to be going through this to grow. There's a lesson here. Everything happens for a reason. And I'm not saying that isn't true. That's all the time, or at least some of the time. But it can be a rationalization. When I hear that, I mean, yeah, anything can be a rationalization. When I hear that, I hear something deeper. Like, is this a rationalization? When I hear that, I hear, like, am I alone? Like, does this matter? Like, am I... I hear a deeper pain there because, you know, when we're in the realm of rationalizing, when we're in the realm of our minds, it's a sophisticated way that we've all learned to avoid what's deeper and more present. And many times that is that sense of, am I alone? I just wanted to chime in for a second to low listeners, um, and I can't, can't not add to this conversation of these two beautiful, beautiful people talking about their pain in such an open and in powerful way and, and quite inspiring for others, and including myself. I just wanted to say something and ask a question to you, Yohevet, Um because we talk about rationalization and whether this is, you know, whether these feelings of unworthiness, of loneliness, but the truth is this is all complex. And, yes, there are defense mechanisms in place in dealing with pain. That's automatic. That's instinctual even. Uh, but at the same time, we strive towards self-actualization. We strive towards discovering our identity and our full potential. And sometimes we think that our identity is how we relate to things, our job, our family, and what happens when one of those factors changes. Do we change? We do. Um, and... Uh, Wanting to quote one of my favorite authors, um, the meaning of life is to give life meaning. Uh, that comes from Viktor Frankl, um, a beautiful Holocaust survivor and psychologist. And also tying it to another Jewish psychologist um, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, self-actualization is at the top of the triangle. So our our most prominent need is to self-actualize, um, and that can only be done through unraveling these layers and going deeper and discovering who we are, um, and have and being okay with our identity changing. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it. Um, <laughs> try to pretend to be a, a psychologist, but a Maslow's hierarchy of inborn needs that that self-actualization need, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is higher, in fact, than things like shelter and love from others. And and so uh, maybe in a certain sense that's a psychotherapeutic or a scientific way of refuting the idea that um, it is just a rationalization to um, say no pain, no gain, um, because in, maybe that 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 gain we need to have uh, perhaps has to go through the portal of pain. But I have a question for you, you haven't, because I, I forgot <laughs> that I was going to ask it. Do you think Jewish wisdom supports this 
journey to self-actualization? Or do you think that's only a psychological concept that doesn't match Jewish wisdom? Oh, that is a great question. And Tommy, I even want to do another show on that, too. You'll have it, do, if, you need, that, if you need a minute on that, I, can we take our, our next break and then you get to the question of Jewish wisdom as it relates to self-actualization? Sure. Let's go for another break. I, I have some ideas, so we can wait. Okay, we'll be right back on Equal Footing <laughs> with Yochavid Seidoff, and as you heard, with our executive producer, Leah Mansniku, as well. Be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. back on equal footing do you need to break down in life to break through to transcend to advance spiritually to feel closer to god do we need to go through the incredible darkness of the soul you'll have it the question on the table i guess is about is if we're really honest about it does jewish wisdom support self-actualization yeah, I would say absolutely. I would the caveat or the the distinction is, you know, how do you define self? And I don't think Madeline would disagree with this. You know, I think that modern society, uh, Western society, capitalism wants us to define self by what we do, what we produce, how we perform, what our status is. And Judaism, if anything, is about the merging, the inherent unity of body and spirit, the divine and the physical. And who we are, ourselves, is the expression of our most deepest, beautiful, inherent self, which is our soul. There's this um, beautiful teaching of, you know, that a baby and I got to see your beautiful baby just yesterday, when it's in its mother's womb, learns the whole Torah before it's born. And the teaching is that the Torah, the divine wisdom that it learns, is all of the trials and tribulations, all of the challenges, all of the ups and downs, all of the glory moments that it will live through in this world. And we each, in that womb space, acquiesce 
to our life before we are born. We learn the Torah, the wisdom of our life. And so the, the actualization of self is a contract with the divine that we have each already stepped into. And that is the, the calling, the soul's purpose that is actually moving through all the breakthroughs and the breakdowns and the glory moments and the ups and downs and the tears and the pain and the exuberation. And the, it's all of that. That is the actualization of self. And I think what sits on top of the triangle is when we have that deep knowing that the unfolding of my life is through divine wisdom, and that the rhythm of the unfolding of my life is not by accident, but is through the grace of God. I think that's what puts it at the pinnacle of the triangle. Do I actually walk with that deep knowing, that deep faith, that everything as it unfolds is from the divine for me? Uh, you know, Leah quoted Viktor Frankl before, and uh, no matter what you do, the power of the mind in um, infusing meaning and kind of reacting to what happens around us, even the most horrible things that happen around us, even Viktor Frankl acknowledges none of it works without faith. Um, so we get back to a topic we've talked a lot about over the years here is the, the essentialness and, and the and and something you really can't argue with because it's what they call it the leap of faith, right? Um, it's a certain uh, intrinsic approach. This may be hard to hear. I just want to, I'm going to summarize it, but I want to read uh, a listener's um, note. Um, and, and this listener says that they understand why Chabad has taken this approach in the context of modern society, Frankel, etc. But the reality is Judaism doesn't, that is, at its essence, support the approach that sadness can be integrated with belief and prayer. Uh, there's a, it goes on to, to talk about the fact that the traditional view um, ultimately should, should hold. I, I was trying to say this before. I think this listener did a better job of, of saying it, Yochavid. Um, is, is, is Chabad... Does, does the modern Hasidic movement, in a sense, um, just integrate these things we've learned from modern psychotherapy and New Age kind of spiritual paths and and uh, the introduction of Buddhism in the West and so forth and give us kind of a portal so we can integrate those things into Judaism? Or are, those, are these concepts really um, at the core of Jewish theology? I wouldn't say that Chabad is, is calling on these other, um, you know, belief systems or, or the general zeitgeist. I, I would say that there's probably an overarching syner- cosmic synergy of these things coming out around the same time. I would say that, correct, in Jewish theology, the idea of yeush, of depression, is not something that we um, indulge in, and that is seen particularly, you know, way back as antithetical to spiritual practice. I do think, though, that there's there's a distinction around the sense of being with what actually is. If a person is in a state of 
withstand this despair of pain. I don't think Judaism's way is to um, deny our feelings. And I think that, you know, we as a Jewish collective, an ancestral collective, hold a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. Um, and Chabad, in many ways, was, is a response to the trauma of the, I mean, modern-day Chabad is really a response in some ways to the modern-day Holocaust trauma. And, yeah, yeah. And trauma... As, and as trauma Frankel. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's trauma, part of, I think, what you're getting at is the, the zeitgeist is all kind of coming around. I, in a sense, I think that that, that listener may, may agree as well with that. Feel free to text again or call in, um, listener. But that that there's a response to the reality of what's happened in human history with the Holocaust, and there's almost no other way to deal with that unless you 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 create these 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 portals around self actualization. Otherwise, how can we not all be walking around with pain and sadness all the time? And to be with what is. Uh, I want to read. Uh, yeah, let's, let's read another listener um, comment here. Um, this listener wrote a few comments. They're very, very intense. Okay, uh, this was this listener. His name is Rick, or at least I'm going to call him Rick. Uh, I work on my spiritual fitness at least one hour a day, and I've been doing that for a while. And yet, these past two weeks, I have been having a hard time not blaming God and life for not recognizing my effort, even as it basically has taken away 95% of my wealth, and I'm feeling older now at 62. I know I'm having a poor me session, but this show in the past has taught me that humans are free and angels are not. A little parenthetical there to do with the free will of humans. I concluded, therefore, back to your listeners' comments, I concluded, therefore, that the price of our freedom is that God will allow for the consequences of our act, sometimes horrible, hence the world we live in that makes no sense at times. So everything helps for a reason is partially true for me to the point of believing in serendipity. I do believe that if one practices awareness, quote-unquote, in a broad way, one can induce things to happen, or better yet, surf the unseen currents of life's events as to do better. So how do you react to this, Yochavit, and, and Leah? I love this listener's... I, for one, love the listener's integrating of feeling lost and doubtful um, in God, and even, as he very honestly says, blaming God, with the awareness, and I love this, that the cost, of being human, the cost of our freedom of, of, of having free will is that God allows for the consequences of our acts. Um, it's a, it's intense, but it feels like a pretty emotionally integrated way to look at it. Yeah, I, I just want to say that um, I'm sorry for your listeners' loss. Like, I'm sorry for the loss, um, and in the sense of, of, of losing and, and the pain that you're in. Um, and, yeah, I, I, too, am struck in how you are creating space for life as it unfolds. And I, I really appreciate the sense of awareness that you brought in. Um, when you spoke to being aware 
God. Um, and it feels to me that awareness is is a psychological tool and also a spiritual tool in really navigating the breakdowns. And what am I aware of? What can I what can I invite more? into my life, and when I think about the sense of empowerment that it brings to think about, I have a choice, and there's ripples to my choice, and I'm being held still in something bigger and grander than me. Um, I know that that's a particular, like, that could be a confusing point of how our choice interacts with the divine plan, but yet also it could point to the deep partnership we hold with the divine, that we're not passive in life. We're working together. I think there's a couple of listeners, I'm going to postpone our, our final break here for a moment. There are a couple of listeners that have made the point that there's too much of an emphasis <laughs> they haven't said specifically on this show, but I'm going to take that criticism as being on this show as well, on the the pain on the the difficult paths we uh, we traverse, um, and too little emphasis on the blessings that God gives us. There's two parts to this, but first of all, uh, how do you feel about that, Yehovah? I know you speak very openly about the difficult patches in your life. Do you feel sometimes you focus too much on them? You know, it's interesting. I'm doing this um, intensive training, uh, you no know, feedback and. I was speaking yesterday to the facilitator about, you know, the ancestral burdens <laughs> that I carry. And he said to me, you know, we we inherit the burdens, but we also inherit the miracles. We also inherit the miracles. What are the miracles that have come through the ancestors? And I thought, wow, what a beautiful thing. You know, it's true. We can get so caught up in the bumps in the road. And even if I have this strong compass of faith, and even if I believe that the breakdown leads to a breakthrough, we can, we can get overly focused on that. And just even to pause, you know, we, we start our day with gratitude. You know, Mordeani, the Jewish, the Jewish prayer, we start our day with gratitude. And we started from a place of, from our beds, you know, without even getting up properly, without washing our mouths, without washing our hands. And the idea is that we don't have to be in a spiritually sublime place to express gratitude. Gratitude is always available. So I think that that is in our culture, it is in our wisdom of starting with the gratitude, starting with the awareness again, going back to that listener the awareness of something bigger. And that, that is really what calls me and continues to call me in the Hasidic path, that there is an emphasis. Sure, we can talk about the challenges and the pain and the exile. And, but, you know, I, I was raised with very little talk about punishment. I was raised with a very little um, sense of God as this angry figure that was, you know, watching and and unhappy with me. I was raised with joy. I was raised with the sense that the redemption is imminent and um, the sense that the world is beautiful. Um, so 
when I think about when I think about you know the breakdown, I don't I, I don't see them as a porthole that drags me down. I ultimately see it as a part of something bigger that's truly beautiful. So I I would say that absolutely in Judaism. There is the sense of focusing on the miracles, on the blessings, on the gratitude, on the light. In fact, let's try this on for size. I feel like in Christianity, there's an absolute, uh, at least from the outside, it seems there's an extraordinary focus on the suffering of the of the the Jesus figure. That's core to the theology. Uh, in Buddhism, there's also a lot of suffering that the, the Buddha figure goes through um, and a lot of focus on suffering as a means for transformation. I would actually make the argument that in Judaism, if you look at the key characters, um, I mean, you have Job, but Job's not a patriarch, and you have moments of transformation through temporal suffering, like Jacob wrestling with the angel, but it, within our within our patriarchs, you don't have the same type of level of suffering and death. You have disappointment, you have disillusion, and so forth. But I would make, in a sense, an inverse argument. Actually, I'm challenging myself with the outset. I say at the outset of the show that there isn't as much of a theological emphasis, at least by example, in in Judaism on the the essential the. Um, the, the the need to go through extraordinary levels of suffering to kind of come close to God. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, I think what you see with the patriarchs and the matriarchs and, and Moses and, and Joseph, and you know, I think you see examples of conscious relationships. I think you see people in this struggle. But you also see people in sublime surrender, and you see people in moments of ecstasy, and you see people who are willing to stand up for their their vision and their sense of, of what's true in this world. And you see people who are willing to stand up to God and to grapple and to say, why are you yeah. continuing to be? So I think you see dynamic relationships that ultimately point right. to, are we, again, are we conscious and aware? That's, all, that's what God wants from us. Show up consciously. And even you have... Even like like Joseph in prison or Abraham advocating to God to not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you have a certain pride. You have a certain like head held high, and kind of talking back. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't Absolutely. have a victim. And I think it's important for us to, to acknowledge that. Okay, we're going to take our last quick break. We're back. We'll be back in a moment. You'll have it off. I'm going to give out the number one last time. We're getting some great comments and questions in. This is for texting or, uh, or SMS or uh, WhatsApping in a question or comment. 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. while since we've had the Beatles on. Uh, uh, right, very briefly, great, relatively new sponsor to Equal Footing that I have uh, a ton of affinity for, the What If Workshops. These are relationship workshops that are held upstate in the Catskills in a beautiful setting as for weekends as well as uh, one-day sessions in New York that are about deepening intimacy, breaking through insecurities, feelings of shame, inadequacy, going through betrayal, relationship trauma, and other issues that can bring a relationship down. 
apropos to tonight's program, that he can have make it feel like your relationship is breaking down. But what if you could be radically accepted as you are in a partnership? What if you could finally overcome that broken heart or past relationship trauma? What if you felt as drawn to your partner as you did the first day you met? What if your relationship, your marriage could be more honest and exciting than you ever thought possible? you got to check out these what-if workshops. The number to call, there's two more left for the summer, and they book out ahead of time. So the next one is August 11th to the 13th, and then the final one for the summer schedule is the uh, is Labor Day weekend, and then right after that, I should say, there's another one that's actually very specific to the community that's addressed in this program. It's a, week, it's a workshop uh, right after Labor Day, that Tuesday through um, uh, Thursday, that is called Kosher Sex, and it's about the questions that I asked in the context of a Jewish partnership in particular. The number is 848-305-9903. That's 848-305-9903. You can also find out more about the What If workshops by going to uh, one of the websites. It's lolaandbear.com, L-O-L-A-A-N-D-B-E-R.com, lolaandbear.com. Check it out. The What If workshops, deepening relationship, getting to new, deeper better places in your relationship. We'll be right back. I've been caught but I'm keeping on keeping on I've been Alright, we're back with your heaven side up. We've been talking about do you need to break down in life to break through? You know, I feel in a little bit of better space, so I figured I would uh, share very briefly. I want to go back to what we started the program with around the feeling of separateness, and you talked about how when lamplighters came apart, you felt very alone. And I feel like at the, when you're in your worst spots, you forget that God is with you. And in a sense, the the... What I was going to share, uh, it both talks about the worst and the best. When I was in prison abroad, I was incarcerated unfairly, I, I, in my view, uh, overseas for ten and a half months, a number of years ago, almost eight years ago. Um, there was a moment, there were a couple of near-death moments. I've talked about the, uh, one of them already on the show some time ago. Uh, another one, uh, right before I was released, um, was I, I was I was caught between a couple of different kind of gangs in 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 the prison, and I had no protection. I didn't come from that background, and at one point I was put on a on a base like a trial uh, in prison, not for any particular thing having been done, but just for kind of being unaffiliated and having to choose sides. And I was uh, standing on a, a table, um, and I. There came a moment in which I was pretty sure that it was the end. Um, there were there were uh, weapons and knives and, and so forth being taken out by um, by prisoners in that setting, and I thought that surely um, not only I was going to perish, but others as well. And it really, more than any other moment in my life, felt like the end. And as I was standing there. I felt release and joy. And I don't mean like euphoria. 
And I don't, I don't mean like some sort of like, you know, like crazy kind of response when you're, when you're, when you're, um, you're feeling what should be sadness or despair and you, you kind of laugh. I, I mean, I felt like it's okay. Everything's okay. I just wanted, I, I did want myself to be the only one that, that lost their lives that day, not others. But at the essence of it, I felt like it was all a dream. Like it was all this whole dance, this play of consciousness that we're here on this planet involved in, um, is ultimately actually infused by joy and release and togetherness and oneness. And I would say the time that I felt most at union with the divine was also the time when I was facing what I thought was my death. And it was a feeling I, I can't just, I never will be able to find the words for it. Um, but it was a feeling of release. And I guess I want to, it's, 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 it's a comment. It's also, uh, it's also a question to you, you have it into you, Leah. Um, but the, the, it feels to me like we're in our, when we're in our worst moment, what is the worst that can happen? I mean, the worst that can happen is we lose our lives or loved ones lose their lives. Like that's, that's the quote unquote the end. But if you, if you somehow can get into the space of seeing that not as an end, but as an, as a union, as another, another stop in a journey, um, everything else kind of can fade into the background. So I'm sorry if that's very, very heavy. Um, it doesn't actually feel to me heavy when I'm saying it. I can imagine for listeners it may sound that way. Um, but to me that was the opposite of um, feeling separate, and it was oh. also the only time really when I'd hit bottom at different points in my life where I was able to access that feeling of union with the divine Really, and I think it was because when I when it was truly the bottom, or God willing, I hope it was mm. truly the bottom in, in life. So I'm just uh, <laughs> going to go right up on time. Mm. So I guess the question is, does that resonate for you? I hope you haven't hit the bottom. Actually, <laughs> none of us. I hope none of us has hit the bottom. No. <laughs> meaning, meaning, no. we already yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful to to feel you in that moment, though, and to feel the strength that I've come over the years to really recognize in you. And, you know, it reminds me of all of the, you know, the hero's journey that at that moment that seems to be the most forlorn, you know, so abandoned and alone, that's the moment of, of triumph. That's the phoenix rising from the ashes. That's all of our ancestors have gone through so much and never lost their faith. And, and so I, yeah, I resonate. We'll have, you, yeah. we'll have you back. <laughs> Thank oh, you for I would love being to come on back. Thank you for this. is beautiful. Thank you. Bye. Okay.